looking at Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. This is a second of kind of a two-part series. We looked at the first half of uh, uh, 15 two weeks ago, and we're going to be focusing on the second half uh, this week. Isaiah chapter 57, page 617. Or if you've got a blue, larger print, 733. But I'm going to read uh, from verses from 14 uh, to 19. Isaiah 57. And it shall be said, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrite. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry, for the spirit would grow faint before me in the breath of life that I made." Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners, creating the fruit of lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Now, I wonder what you'd say right now if I asked you how you were doing. Now, probably most of us, because we're, we're British, would say, fine, thanks, yeah, I'm doing fine, yeah, life's okay, yeah, great, thanks, fine. But what happens if we had a bit of time, a bit of space, you trusted me? And I said, yeah, but, but how are you really doing? I wonder what you'd say then. Some of you right now, is that question rings in your ears are actually just trying to keep the floodgates tightly closed. You can't. You don't open them right now. There's too much. You're not ready to answer that question. Because actually life's hard, isn't it? We know that. Perhaps your mum's ill. Exams are looming. You're lonely, tired. Your kids are worrying you. You've just had bad health news. Your parents have split up. Someone's been bullying you at school. You lost your job. There's pain, there's hurt, regret in our lives. And sometimes we can walk into church and it can feel like this is the last place you want to be. You know, people are happy, smiles all around you, everyone seems kind of well and sorted. And we wonder, is this really the place for me, for my hurts? Well, Isaiah 57, 15 the word from God himself. It is a sweet, sweet verse in Scripture. May its truths reach deeply into your soul this morning. May it be a means for God to bring life. Because here we see the wonderful glory of where God dwells, where God lives and inhabits, where he makes his home. And it's not perhaps where we'd expect 
Now, two weeks ago, we saw that God dwells in, in the high and holy place, if you remember, if you're here, that he's beyond space and time. He's not like us. He's, he's all now. He's all here. But the, in the second half of this verse, we have something extraordinary. I dwell in the high and holy place, he says, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. And today we're going to dig deeply into those beautiful words. You know, as we sit here, having, having dragged the baggage of our lives in behind us, I don't know, as the weight of it kind of pulls on our shoulders, this presence of God is exactly the hope we need. God being with, being close to the contract and the lowly. This is wonderful good news. And to really know that, to experience that, well, First, we need to know who God is. Is he a God we want close? And then we need to know who the contrite and lowly are. Does that include me? And if it does, well, what's God going to be up to? Will it be good to have him with me? So we're going to take those three things. Who is this God? Then is he for me? And thirdly, well, why? Why is he for me? So firstly, who is this God? God says in verse 15, I dwell with him. I dwell with him. Who is this I? Well, let's see three wonderful things about God himself, that he's powerful, he's personal, and he's peacemaking. First, he's powerful. Verse 15, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. What's really important as we dig into God with us is that we remember that the God who is with us is not like us. He's above and beyond us. The sermon from two weeks ago kind of it needs to sit in the back of our minds the whole time. This, uh, that, that, that our God is, he's not limited to time and space. He's not limited to earthly or heavenly temples. He is glorious. He's infinite. He's transcendent. He's overflowing in life and power. And if we remember that meant God was all here, all now. The holy God, the God of wonder, the God of glory. He's fully with us, fully because he's, he's not like us, he's other. And so when God says he's with people, he's not giving them a second-rate deal. You know, it's not like one of those companies when you, you make an appointment to meet the CEO or something like that, and then, and then you arrive, and, and all you get is their assistant or their associate or something. No, when you meet God, you, you get all of God. He's not limited like us. He's not changing. He's always fully, maximally alive and present. So in our needs, in our weakness, it's the powerful, holy creator God who's there. It's the the powerful, exalted God who can hold us and lead us. Nothing's too hard for him. Nothing's too complicated or stretching. He's fully present in full power and wisdom. God is powerful, the thing is, when it comes to someone being with us, we, we actually want someone we know, don't we? You know, we know this is true because whenever it comes to sorting out a problem, I don't know, with an Amazon delivery or a problem with your insurance, you know, we want to speak to a person, don't we, rather than an AI machine. Or actually, we'd rather speak to the person we spoke to last week, someone we know, than the, the new person again and again. And it's true with God, isn't it? We, we don't just want a mechanical machine. And if God is powerful, if he's above, if he's beyond, does that mean we can never know him? Is he just beyond us, distant? Well, no, God's not just powerful. Second, he's personal. He's personal. Now, in verse 15, God doesn't give us his name. 
In this verse, he is more focusing on his attributes, but it's still there in our passage, verse 19. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord, the Lord. Shorthand for God's name, Yahweh, I am who I am. God has always been a personal God. He's not an impersonal force. He's not some kind of mystical sort of power. He's not an it or a thing. He's called Lord. I am. Because names matter, don't they? Uh, We live in an age where you give your your first name to anyone and everyone. It's even written on your Starbucks coffee or whatever. But back in the day, back in the day, I'd be probably, you know, Mr. Even Reverend Allen. Maybe I should go back to that. Um, But to most people... Uh, that would be true until, until I kind of let you in a bit. And then you'd know me as Will. And I'm sure some of you have even more intimate names uh, that you only give to one or two people. So God giving his name to his people, it's letting them in. He's not distant, he's personal, he's relational. And it's all bound up in his covenant, the Lord. It's his covenant name. He's bound his people to himself like in a marriage He's vowed himself to them. He's promised to be theirs and them to be his. And we get an even deeper insight into the name of God when he comes in Christ. As Christ comes, the the Son of God, we find out that God is not just the Lord, the I Am. He is also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one name we're baptized into. God is with us. Personally, by his son, the eternal son, he took on flesh. He came that close, our humanity bound to the eternal son, never to be separated. He grew inside a womb. He ate wheat grown in nearby fields. He walked on our dirt. He sailed on our lakes. He bled under our hands. God revealed himself in the son. And if in the son, then as father, a son must have a father. And you don't need to listen to Jesus' teaching for long, do you? Uh, to know he's introducing us to his father, his generous, life-giving father. And he's doing more than introducing us. He's also going to bring us into the family. His, his father is to become our father. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word, and my father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Isn't that incredible? We will come to him, Father and Son. And this is all by the extraordinary arrival of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, the third member of the Trinity. He spiritually brings the the Father and Son to his people. It's all of God, personally, Father, Son, and Spirit. We can know God in this intimate way. Not even the saints of the Old Testament knew this name of God. Isaiah, he's straining to know that name of God and he's, he's catching glimpses of it, but only glimpses. And God comes personally in friendship, covenant closeness, like a husband and wife. You know, some of us might have really close friends. Others of us wish we did have them, but friends where you know them and they know you. They know your mistakes. They know your deepest problems. They know what makes you laugh, what makes you cry. It's personal. It's close. Now, we're not equals with God, of course. He's still the Holy One, the one who's high and lifted up, but his closeness is personal. It's relational. He comes to know and be known, to delight and to grieve, to listen and to speak, to share and encourage Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
But if God is powerful, if, if God is glorious and holy, how can we ever know God like this? How can we ever know him personally? We've seen this many times before, haven't we? The impurity of our hearts get in the way. You know, we're like a, a shoplifter uh, before a policeman rather than a daughter before that same man as, his, as her dad. You know, shoplifters' actions, they, they, they bring the justice of the law against him. That's us. Just look at verse 17. Because of the iniquity of his unjust gain, I was angry. I struck him, I hid my face and was angry, but he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. So for Israel, these many thousands of years ago, it was unjust gain. In other words, the rich had got fat on the pickings of the poor. And it's all from their own heart. They just kept going on the way of their own hearts. And our sin, our desires to go our own way, to push others down in the process, it all leads to God's rightful anger, his justice, the execution of which we await for when Jesus returns. But, but God is not just a God who approaches sin in justice. That kind of God close is a terrifying prospect. Instead, God is powerful and personal, but also peacemaking. How can God be with people? Just listen to the wonderful words of verse 16. For I will not contend forever, nor will I always be angry. Again in verse 19, peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. The God who is close is a peacemaking God. A God who so loves to be close, he's done everything to make it happen. We're deserving of his wrath and can do nothing to make it better. We're like murderers in the dock. We can't pay our way out. We can't smooth it over with the police. We can't be extra kind to the victim's family. We're stuck. And yet God does do something about it. He did. He delighted to deal with it. He found the way to appease his justice, to be righteous and forgiving. He sent his son to die. Jesus died as a sacrifice in a place. He, our head, died as our representative, died so we don't have to. Like a dad stepping forward to die so that his family could be set free. God's righteous justice was appeased. He's a peacemaking God. His love is so great. His love is so wonderful that even though we've turned our backs on him, rejected him, treated him like a lowlife, wanted him to go away, his love is more. His love is greater. He's like the husband who's who keeps calling his cheating wife back. He does everything, everything needed to get us back. He's peacemaking. Who is this God? This God who's stepping close. He's the powerful, personal, peacemaking God. What a wonderful Lord to know. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've, never, I've never had a total kind of celebrity infatuation like I've never got, kind of got hung up on one person that I've nearly worshipped their footprints. Perhaps you have. Uh, but I, I, wondered, I, I have wondered what it would be like to be walking down the street and a celebrity, I don't know, let's pick a Scottish one, perhaps Andy Murray. You know, he, he's surrounded by lots of people. They're wanting autographs. And I, I've wondered what would happen if he just saw me and went, oh, hi, Will. I went to his accent. Nice to see you. How are you doing? How's the family? Let's go and grab a, grab a drink somewhere. You know, you'd feel good, wouldn't you? You'd feel, you'd feel important. And I, I kind of look at Andy and think, it'd be nice to be known and to, to know him. You know, not just be a groupie, but actually kind of know someone like that. But with God, we don't have to wonder, do we? We get to know this God, not a celebrity, but the all-loving, grace-filled, merciful, joy-bringing God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Isn't that incredible? 
It's this God who is close. But let's just go back to that celebrity moment. Because I look at the crowd around someone like Andy Murray. I can wonder, well, how could he ever know me? I, you know, I can hit a tennis ball, but not in a way that means I could give him a warm-up match or anything. You know, I've got links to people who know people who know people who know him, but it's just a bit distant. And perhaps you feel the same with God. You know he can be known by someone out there. You know, those people over there, they seem to know him. But what about me? What about me? Because if our first question were, who is this God? Our second then is this, is he for me? Is he for me? And this is where the wonder of God with us just grows and grows. Because often in life, the great and the wonderful stick with the great and the wonderful, don't they? The celebrities marry other celebrities. The rich hang out with the rich. The beautiful are friends with the beautiful. But God is different. Just listen to those words. I dwell also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. Is God for me? Well, that word contrite, it's not a word we use very often, is it? But here... Here in this verse, it has the sense of being crushed. Crushed. Alec Mottier in his commentary put it like this. Crushed by life's burdens and batterings. It's like life has kind of been smashed out of a person. Like, I don't know, when a car drives over an apple, you know, it kind of crumbles and shatters and pieces are everywhere. Now for the Israelites, as I was writing to, they're about to go through the toughest 80 years of their existence. Their nation battered, famine robbing them of loved ones, war, exile, persecution. It would be crushing. And life can be like that, can't it? Some of you know deeply what it is to have a crushed soul. Perhaps by life circumstances. I don't know, the constraints of ill health. The devastating ongoing struggle with an anxiety or phobia, the, the horrific abuse you face from a spouse or a parent, the, the, the bullying colleague. Life has just pressed in. It's squeezed in. Been a weight just pushing down and down until any life just seemed to be gone, crushed on the inside. Or perhaps it's been death by a thousand paper cuts. Just one thing after another after another. None of them felt bad in themselves, but it just kept coming. And that's just not, from, not just from the outside, is it? Perhaps your struggle's been within. Your sin. Guilt and shame has just weighed heavy. The past crouching behind the door of your memory every day. Any little look in your rearview mirror and it's there, kind of teeth bared. And perhaps you've walked in this morning knowing you're hanging on by a thread. One more piece of straw might just break the camel's back. You know it, you are a lowly spirit. You're on your knees. Well, hear these words again. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him or her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. God, the powerful, personal, peacemaking God, he is especially for you. He is for those who know they are broken, 
who know they are empty-handed before God and who just come to him to receive. For Christmas uh, 2020, as the pandemic and all the restrictions were really taking their toll, Sovereign Grace released a beautiful song called, O Come, All You Unfaithful, riffing off the the Christmas hymn. And these these words have been swimming around my head this week, and here, here are some of them. O come, all you unfaithful, come, weak and unstable, come, know you are not alone. O come, barren and waiting ones, weary of praying, come, see what your God has done. If that's you this morning, come and see what your God has done. God is for you. He's not for the strong. He's not for the sorted kind of person. You know, we're a society that loves to say, you've got this. But no, no. He's not for the got this person. He's for the person who hasn't got it, who's on the ropes, crushed, lowly. Let me quote from a a blog post written during the pandemic, written by someone who really understood this. She said this, there's a grammatically troubling phrase I keep seeing on mummy blogs or Facebook, and in the last couple of weeks, it's been said to me a few times by some very well-meaning and incredibly supportive friends. You got this. It's a phrase that's meant to empower and encourage us to keep going in difficult circumstances. It's got a, life is hard, but you're stronger than you think. Don't worry, you got this kind of vibe. Well, respectfully, I have to disagree. I really haven't got this. I mean, who in their right mind would claim they've got this? She then gives details of the, uh, the crushing things in her life, serious illness in the family, busy motherhood with a pandemic on top, and she goes on. Of course I haven't got this. I'm, however, sometimes anxious, scared, confused, and very, very tired. I haven't got this. So it's a relief to know I can run to the one who has got me. I am weak, but he is strong. I'm powerless, but he is sovereign. I can't see the future, but all that happens has been ordained according to his will. He is always loving, always kind, always with us. That's someone knowing God is for them. I dwell with him or her who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. It's as we're crushed, we begin to know the presence of God like never before, isn't it? Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling with us, making his home with us. Now, God's words are a particular comfort, aren't they, for those in the mill at the moment, for you. But they are for all of us. You might not be feeling crushed at the moment, In worldly terms, life's successful. But a Christian spirit should still be a lowly spirit. A Christian spirit is still one of humility, of self-forgetfulness. We know our weakness. We know our sin and frailty. We know we struggle and slip. And perhaps even today, our laziness, our sharp tongue, our our constant worry, they're, they're there. And they've rightly robbed us of our pride. And we also know all that we have that is good in this life is from God, don't we? It's all from Him. Our successes and sunshine, our possessions and good job, our our loving family and fun holiday, it's all from God. It's all a gift. If you want to know if God is for you, well, come to Him in humility. Come on your knees. Come knowing He is the high and exalted one, and you are His creature. 
And then in that place, we begin to know God as our God, our powerful God, our personal peacemaking God. It's, it's not when we exalt ourselves. It's not when we think we're worthy, we've got it sorted. No. Is God for me? Well, he's with the crushed. He's with the lowly of spirit. But what does his presence mean for me? Is it a nice platitude? Or does it make a real difference? Well, firstly, we asked, who is this God? Then we asked, is he for me? Well, lastly, well, why is he for me? And God is very clear. He's with us, verse 15, to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Then again in verse 18, I've seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore comfort to him and his mourners creating the fruit of the lips. God, he's not with us to reprimand us, to enslave us further, to make life worse. No, he's with us to bring life, to take what was crushed and dead and breathe life in it, to restore the broken, to heal what was sick, to lift up the lowly. If you remember nothing else from this morning, okay, may it be this. God loves to lift up the lowly. God loves to lift up the lowly. His presence is with us to bring life. Now we just need to think what that means because we're in the midst of battering circumstances. The, the only way we can kind of see a way out is the end of those events, isn't it? We, we feel we just need this pain to stop. But God actually has a different view. If you notice, he revives the spirit of the lowly and the heart of the contract. To start with, he begins deeper. He doesn't often start with what's going on outside of us. He starts with what's going on inside of us. That's where he breathes his life, first of all. That's where his spirit goes to work. And it starts as the the spirit turns our dead heart into one that's alive again. Like that moment with a physical heart when it flatlines. But a shock bursts its into life again. Ba-boom, ba-boom. New life. And a living heart means we no longer are backsliding in the way of our own hearts. But we're finding rest in God. Finding rest in him. And we first find rest in his peacemaking. As all that Christ has done for us, his obedience in life, his tortured death on the cross, his glorious resurrection from the grave, as all that takes root, so we begin to be revived. Revived because we're in the the gracious presence again of our wonderful God. Our horrific, dark, dirty sin has become as white as snow. Our shame, wiped clean, we're forgiven. We know forgiveness And so secondly, we we rest in knowing him personally as our God. As our God, we find acceptance before God himself, adoption into his family even. God as our father, my father. This is a wonderful journey that many of us know, and we, we know we've only just begun, don't we? We have an eternity of knowing our God more and more, of seeing new depths to his character and love. 
And so we just love to hear the gospel again and again, don't we? We, we love to be shown his grace in our baptism and taking the Lord's Supper. Why? Because we get to know God, our Father, our Father in Christ the Son by the Holy Spirit as he makes his home in us. And as we rest, rest in God, we thirdly find his power at work in us too. We begin slowly, surely, to experience the change, change of the way we live. As we're freed from sin, we begin to live again. Even in the midst of difficult circumstances, even as life presses in and we're squeezed, because somehow, somehow we begin to say with Paul, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. If you're a Christian here this morning and life is pressing in, may you find life in Christ. May you know life is found in God being close. And perhaps as the the tears flow again this week and the weight of life presses in, may the promise of God take root in your hearts and God himself bring his peace, his inner strength and trust yourself again to him knowing that he holds you whatever you may feel because we also have hope. Because we know that the life of Christ, that resurrection power will one day blossom fully. Our lives will truly shine as they were meant to when Christ returns, when all suffering and oppression is gone, when all sin is got rid of, when the grave is smashed open, every single thing that crushed us is gone and life shines in all its glory once again. Why is he for you? Because God loves to lift up the lowly. He loves to lavish his grace upon the weak, to revive the crushed and those in despair. So just to finish, in the difficulties of life, which way are you running this morning? Are you running away from God as if that were possible? Trying to find salvation and solace anywhere but in him I know, perhaps in escape as you're playing on your games console into the night, in silence. If I never talk about it, I'm sure it'll be okay. Or are you realizing you're running on empty and you just need to come lowly in spirit to the one who loves to lift up the lowly and in him to find life? Amen.